On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Um, fairly Sean Quinn uh, heavy theme to today's Sunday papers um, starting with the Sunday Times um, in which the one time billionaire businessman Sean Quinn said yesterday that he knows the identities of the people responsible for carrying out arson attacks on his former companies which caused substantial damage in an interview with the Sunday Times Sean Quinn who is 74 named a former associate as being responsible for organising attack on a power station in Fermanagh in 2012 the substation was, uh, was burned down after it was set on fire using petrol as an accelerant Quinn described the incident as one of the more serious attacks against his former companies after they were seized by the banks. He does point out, though, however, at the time that he was in prison when the burning of the substation happened. If there was paying done, then who paid it? It wasn't Patricia, which is his wife, uh, going around with an armful of money. So who organised these attacks, said Quinn, who then named a suspect. And also, by the way, in the front page of the Sunday Times, an investigation which shows that although three people have died in Turkey this year uh, as a result of or following um, medical procedures that they've had over there as a result of medical tourism, uh, within hours of landing in Turkey last week, Julianne Cor, a Sunday Times reporter, was offered a Brazilian butt lift, which is the most dangerous cosmetic procedure in the world and which is unavailable in Ireland. More details about that uh, inside the papers. Uh, more uh, Sean Quinn content on the front page of the uh, Mail on Sunday. The brave priest who condemned the abduction and torture of Kevin Lunny was warned, you're next, after he delivered a hard-hitting sermon from the altar. In an interview with the Mail on Sunday this week, following the three-part documentary Quinn Country broadcast on RTE, Father Oliver O'Reilly revealed that he was told his life was at risk after he spoke out against the campaign of violence directed at companies formerly owned uh, by the bankrupt former billionaire Sean Quinn. Um, John Quinn has also spoken to John Lee, one of our newspaper reviewers, and we'll talk to him about that a little bit later in this hour. Um, the front page of the Business Post... Microsoft is planning a private power plant on its new data centre site at a the at a business park in uh, southwest Dublin, 900 million euro data centre, but it's going to build its own large scale gas power plant uh, due to its concerns about the severe constraints in Ireland's energy grid. The planned investment will bring the total number of data centres operated by Microsoft in Ireland to 15. Generally, data centre operators will have smaller diesel powered generators on site for emergency scenarios, but in this case, Microsoft plans to construct a 170 megawatt on site power plant alongside 21 diesel generators in a bid to offset the high energy demand from the facilities. The firm's plans come almost a year after the Commission for the Regulation of Utilities and Airgrid were forced to introduce a moratorium on new data centres in the Greater Dublin area until at least 2028 due to severe constraints in the power system. Uh, Also on the front page of the Business Post, we are told that Irish borrowers will continue to pay significantly higher interest rates than the European peers, even if banks were allowed to repossess homes more easily. Uh, The interest rate for new mortgages in Ireland has averaged just under 3% uh, for the past five years, compared to an average of 1.55% across the Eurozone. As a result, Irish mortgage holders pay considerably more every month to service their loans at a time when borrowers across Europe are, of course, being hit by higher interest rates uh, being declared by the ECB. Over the years, some commentators have called for the state to make repossessing homes easier in Ireland, which in turn, they suggested, would help to make new loans cheaper because lenders would have better recourse on the security um, attached to those loans. But it's now merged through that retail banking review, which was published by the Department of Finance this week. People might remember that because that was responsible for the the cap on uh, bankers' bonuses being lifted somewhat. Um, It has found that allowing for easier repossession of homes would make little difference to the cost of loans that the banks would offer. 
And finally, on the Business Post, the Intel is offering thousands of euro in inducements to encourage up to 2,000 workers to take three months unpaid leave as part of its cost-cutting measures. And finally, for now, the front page of the Sunday Independent. Public believe gangland and provisionals linked. Nearly two-thirds of the public believe that there is a connection between gangland crime in Dublin and provisional republicanism. A Sunday time or Sunday Independent, Ireland thinks opinion poll has found. Two-thirds say Sinn Féin leader Mary Lou Macdonald should be more transparent about how she funded her family home in Dublin. She has so far not fully addressed either issue. On the Late Late Show on Friday, she cited the legal restriction of subjudice that limits public discussion on trials. She also referred to mortgage finance in relation to her home, which she said was almost paid off, but she wasn't pressed on either matter. Earlier, judges in the murder trial of Jerry the Monk Hutch ruled 10 hours of conversations between him and the former Sinn Féin councillor Jonathan Dowdall, uh, captured by a guarded listening device, to be admissible in evidence. This was despite the recordings having been gathered unlawfully because the SUV was outside of the state. Uh, But nonetheless... 60% 60% of people uh, in this Ireland Thinks poll believing that there is a connection between gangland crime and provisional republicanism. 26% say no, 14% unsure. Uh, that is one of many uh, headline findings from that opinion poll which is published today in the Sunday Independent. Uh, we're joined, as I said, uh, to discuss that by John Lee, the group political editor at the Daily Mail Group and also by Lauren Boland, who's a reporter with the journal.ie. Uh, good morning to you both. Uh, there's quite a bit in that opinion poll to dig into, but John, I just want to start with the um, morning, so, some of the, the headline bits. Um, first of all, I, I don't know what to make of the the, the main finding, that the idea that 60% of people do believe that there is still a, a link between gangland crime and provisional republicanism. I, I wonder, do you think it might be the start of of a bit of air coming out of Sinn Féin's tyres or is this merely declaration of something that most people already suspected but that it's not going to, to tilt the balance of the table much? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I've, I've felt that for for a good while, particularly since the budget, that, um, you know, to use a horse racing analogy, it's, it's very rare to see a horse shoot out in front and maintain that lead for the distance of the race. Only Frankel, I think, could ever do it. But mm. um, it was always going to be difficult for Sinn Féin to sustain that uh, the, the 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 foundation myth in some ways the last general election founded that problem in that their opponents took government mm. when, when when you get into government you have the full resources of the state to maintain yourself politically Sinn Fein haven't had that um, and then as you approach a general election polls show this and we know things can happen very quickly in the three weeks of a general election people will start to to quantify in their heads who the next government would be. I don't believe last time a lot of people who voted for Sinn Féin actually believed they could be in government. There wasn't that conversation between each other, if you know what I mean. Mm. So this time around they said, OK, we're going to put this this party in government. And that includes having control, perhaps, of the Departments of Justice, the Department of Defence, other areas, that um, Foreign Affairs, uh, areas that um, have, sec- have they would have hold over security of the state, which they don't have in Northern Ireland. So mm. when you take all that into account, it'll be a, a tight race. There are other issues at play, of course, when when Sinn Fein seek to form a government. So you think that all that everything right now is a little bit hypothetical, but the closer you get to a polling day, people start to comp- uh, compile imaginary cabinets, if you like, and they start to sort of fill fill the cabinet seats. And at that point, you think there might be some concerns about Sinn Féin having control over the likes of justice and defence, national security portfolios, given their their historical <coughs> links to the provisional movement. I think that was always going to be the case when people get over, and I'm not saying the anger isn't wholly and absolutely justified uh, about the, house, the state of housing, for instance, and that balance will still be there. Will, will people 
say to themselves, okay, a lot of this happened in the past. A lot of the current um, uh, current candidates Sinn Féin will have in the next general election had nothing to do with any of this. Mm. And we are so despairing over the state of housing in Ireland in particular that we are willing to give Sinn Féin a chance. But that that... That discussion will be had. There will be other issues for Sinn Féin. We're, mm. we're talking about Sinn Féin. They're, they're flying in the polls at 34%. Yeah. There, there, there is unchanged also... in this poll, by the way. Uh, Fine Gael up two points to 23. Fianna Fáil unchanged on 17. So Sinn Féin still with a, at least an tw- 11-point lead over the closest challengers, just in case they don't get a chance to say it out loud otherwise. Absolutely. And, and you know, Sinn Féin offer a lot. And younger voters in particular, as we know, uh, find themselves uh, attracted to that. But there is a long way to go. Also, those polls show that the government still is in the lead, the, the outgoing or <laughs> government as it'll be yeah. next time and, and incoming. There are other issues, I think, at play as well. When, mm. Shin, when, 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 you, when, you, when you look at the, away from the poll, but look at the full um, landscape of Irish politics, should Sinn Féin uh, have electoral success ne- next time out? And I've, I've read, wrote the, written this a couple of times, mm. that they will most likely suck in the other left, left-wing left parties. So I think yeah. the chances of a, of a broad left-wing alliance aren't really there. I think the Greens, if you look at the Green candidates, Social Democrats, Labour in particular, mm. they were very reliant on Sinn Féin uh, transfers last time out because Sinn Féin didn't have enough candidates in the field. Yeah, uh, They will next time. So there was, there was a large left-wing electorate but there wasn't enough Sinn Féin candidates to capitalise on it. So the likes of the Social Democrats or Solidarity PVP capitalise as a result left-leaning independence and if Sinn Féin run the candidates next time around they're going to cannibalise the support for people who might be their coalition partners otherwise. Yeah, if you remember there was, there was Sinn Féin I think you know, not officially but their supporters participated in a hashtag transfer left yeah. uh, movement on, on social media which was very, very effective mm. to give your give your transfers elsewhere. Again, I, I, I could be proven wrong on this but I think Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael voters uh, certainly the appeals have started already because they've coalesced for so long and let's not f- forget yeah. confidence and supply mm. are more likely to transfer to each other. I think it's very unlikely a lot of Fine G- any Fine Gael voters really will be inclined to give a high transfer to Sinn Féin. Yeah. Uh, and similarly Fianna Fáil, I think it's it's yet to be seen there's something of a split within Fianna Fáil about favouring Sinn Féin or not. Mm. Sinn Féin will need to, as Mary Lou highlighted the other night in her interview in the late, yeah. late coalesce with the, one of the large mm. part, uh, parties, most likely Fianna Fáil. Mm. Um, there is, uh, there's quite a lot, as I said, in this poll to, to get through. Um, one thing which which jumped out at me last night, uh, Lauren, when I saw the independent sharing it, was the idea that uh, two weeks out from today, two weeks from today, we'll have a new cabinet installed. Uh, Leo Varadkar will be back again in, in government buildings as Taoiseach. And if you remember how popular Leo Varadkar had become in the summer of 2020 because of the government's handling of the first stages of the pandemic at the time, uh, Leo Varadkar, I think, enjoyed approval ratings of somewhere north of 70%. It was it was Bertie-tastic, the levels of support that he had. <laughs> now, two weeks out, this poll is finding that actually people would rather Micheál Martin stay in the job than give it back to Leo Varadkar. Yes, it's it's an interesting uh, a result of that poll. Um, I think... I think it's interesting as well coupling that with the the result for f- the finance ministry, looking at how their Fine Gael has had stronger support from for, for Pascal Donoghue or Fine Gael is garnering stronger support compared to uh, his likely successor, Michal mm. McGrath. Um, I think I think looking at those personality or sorry the, the personal preferences, the mm. personal popularity for Michal Martin and Leo Varadkar, it's interesting in comparison to Mary Lou Macdonald, who is 
who has fallen from 45 to 41. Mm. And I do think it's interesting when we're talking about that in the context of how Sinn Féin will perform in a future election. We're so, we we can kind of split hairs sometimes yeah. over these minor issues mm. of, or, or perhaps not minor, but you know, these issues of how how will an election play out for them? Um, but certainly you see that popularity coming well out ahead still mm. of the coalition leaders. Yeah. Now, that gradual decline, you know, I mean, not gradual, but you know, we need to see how this plays out in the weeks and months to come. But is it a sign, that small slip of something larger to fall? Yeah. Or I do wonder, is it in the context of this poll where respondents are also being asked to consider links between republicanism and, yeah. you know, gangland crime, that that, mm. when you then get to this question about Mary Lou, did that then colour yeah, your opinion maybe somewhat? Yeah, them a little bit, um, yeah. Uh, what I kind of also find fascinating is that, I mean, this is always the case with, um, with party leaders versus their parties, that they always seem to be more popular than the parties that they lead. Um, and Michal Martin still remaining the most popular leader of the main ones uh, with 46% approval ratings. Um, that compared to only 17% of voters being willing to, to vote for his party next time out. Um, it does kind of beg some questions when you have this constant anxiety within Fianna Fáil about whether he's fit to hang on there as Tánaiste or whether it will be the right time to have a break and have someone else who's coming in as a fresh broom. That actually there'd be a big electoral gamble but getting rid of someone who was clearly liked for their performance in the job. It, it's a real dilemma for Fianna Fáil right now and I think it, there's an interesting article in the Business Post today as well talking about um, the perhaps surprising uh, results or the surprising forecast that Stephen Donnelly may now remain as Minister for mm. Health and that that might be a decision based on uh, you know Michal Martin being strategic and try, trying to retain as some backbenchers described it to the Business Post uh, the status quo. Yeah. Um, and I suppose it's 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 that, that way of the the political numbers, the political moves on the board mm. playing out, because um, I think that is that is something that perhaps uh, maybe wouldn't have been forecast uh, mm. in, in in weeks or months in previously. Um, Stephen Donnelly retaining that uh, portfolio. Um, um, interesting comments as well in there from um, Leo Vradker, who said mm. that the first thing that parties will have to consider in any of these positions is who is most suited to the role, which I think in theory is certainly how it should be done, but I think in practice is probably yeah, that's, not, that's basically not, <laughs> not how, how we works. see you, it you, play you've out. Got, you've no. got your half a dozen people and you're basically going to give them whatever jobs you've got rather than figuring out what's the best place to put them. Um, someone has texted in just asking for clarity on what the percentage vote that each party gets in this poll. Um, so Sinn Féin at 34%, that is unchanged in the last month. Uh, Fine Gael up two points to 23. Fianna Fáil unchanged on 17. Sock Dems up one to five. No change for A2 on four. No change for Labour on three. Uh, Solidarity PPP down t- uh, two points to three percent as well. Green Party unchanged on three. Independence and others uh, nine uh, minus one. So the outgoing government would have collectively forty-three uh, percent of support. Sinn Fein at thirty-four, and then go about finding some some uh, alternative coalition partners for them. You could have Sinn Féin plus the Sock Dems plus A2 would get you to 43%, which is exactly the same uh, as the current outgoing coalition. And then you can fight over who gets Labour or Solidarity PVP. Uh, that's that outlook. Um, Lauren mentioned the prospect of a fairly minimalistic reshuffle, John. And reshuffles are often very difficult, as, as you'll know from having <coughs> seen many of them uh, up front, because basically more people tend to end up disappointed than happy. Um, but there was a, there's been a long-standing suspicion among many that Stephen Donnelly would be the fall guy if there was a need for personnel change. Do you think that there is something to be said or do you do you pick up any movement in the tea leaves that maybe he might be inclined to stay there now? I, I, I would, um, and Stephen Donnelly I'm sure will vouch for this, I would have said for the last year at least that I didn't think there was any chance of it being moved 
there are a, a number of reasons for that. Firstly, Michal Martin's huge achievement, un, unadulterated achievement, has been getting the country through a pandemic. That was led with him by the Minister for Health. By moving Stephen Donnelly, it'd be, it'd be an extraordinary admission that that didn't go so well. That would be my view of it. Hmm. Um, secondly, a Minister for Health has never been known to be a hugely um, uh, you know, a popular person within a government. Uh, and also, if you cast your mind back to when, St- when, when Michal Martin was um, forming his cabinet, he said that he wanted, and the reason he gave for, uh, for choosing those people, Stephen Donnelly, Darrell O'Brien, mm. for certain portfolios, is that he wanted them to have a depth of knowledge and to hit the ground running yeah. as spokesman. Yes. Again, to move the Minister for Health, we've gone through a lot of Ministers for Health, would seem extraordinary to me if he did it. That's not to say he won't. Yeah. It has always been founded on the fact that, that Stephen has no deep... Uh, background in Finnafall and mm. therefore would be perceived as having a, a large number of supporters. Mm. But the same could be said really about Norma Foley, could be said about Charlie McConlogue, that, that they wouldn't have a depth of, of support for them. Darrell O'Brien and Michael party McGrath. party at least anyway. Yeah, but, uh, Darrell O'Brien and Michael McGrath will be seen as, as leadership contenders. So uh, there's no expectation for huge uh, for huge movement in, in this reshuffle for, again, for a particular reason. Mm which is that the changing of a Taoiseach and a Taunish, which we've never done before um, in a rotating um, Taoiseach ship, uh, is seen as disruption enough mm. in many ways. They've also not given an expectation to people that there will be promotions. <coughs> All that said, yeah. <laughs> you only need one <laughs> icon to move. Yeah. Like if you think back, it wasn't even a reshuffle. In many ways, Irish history was changed by removing Charlie McCreevy from the Department of Finance in 2004 by, 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 by Bertie O'Hearn, a different f- f- uh, financial philosophy uh, uh, grabbed the country then. So, you know, one eye-catching move would be, um, would be interesting. Like, if you look at, say, Simon Coveney, and this is not, and Simon Coveney has done a very mm. good job in many ways. He's had a mm. few hiccups, of course. There's a pony fair. But we should say, by, by prelude to this, that there's <clears> there's a question mark over where Simon Coveney might move to should Michal Martin desire to take foreign affairs for himself. Yes, and, and but if you talk to Simon Coveney's team, there's another reason behind that is that he's been five and a half years as Minister for, Minister for Foreign Affairs. That's an awful long time to be stewarding Irish uh, foreign policy. Mm. Um, maybe if he still has leadership uh, um, pretensions, which we don't doubt he does, uh, experience in an economic ministry, as in business and uh, enterprise and employment, which is to be vacated by uh, Leo Baracker. But Leo mm. then warns this morning that it's not going to be a, a rosy gig yes. that either. With, yeah, with, he's, with he's job pointed out in the business post today. Yeah. Coming. But I think if you look at the, again at the poll briefly, and, and uh, I, I, I just... Have been thinking this, watching the polls in recent times. There's very much a move back towards the status quo. Michal Martin, I don't think the the rebels in his party would have projected last July when they were meeting in Leinster House to discuss his well discuss other matters. But of course, his leadership was yeah, yeah. discussed. Um, would have predicted that the the public wanted him to stay on instead of Leo Varadkar. Um, <clears throat> similarly. Pascal Donoghue has a great a great revival in his fortunes, having led the party as director of elections in 2020, Fine Gael, and not been deemed to have gone so well. I I really believe it, uh, events in the in the east, uh, Russia in, invading Ukraine, uh, and events in Britain mm. have had a huge influence, and we can't avoid those events in Britain much as we'd like to. And you know we have papers here linked to them, not least the one I. I work for is is part of a, a British group, 
Um, but we have the BBC, Sky News, and, and, and yeah. a, a minister said this to me recently that he, no matter what you do, that has a huge effect in here. Mm. An absolute populist chaos in Britain, I think, has made us look at our own government and gone, well, OK, they're not so bad now, so are they? So we see tumult in other places and we decide we'd rather have a lot less of it here. Uh, Liam and Kildare says he can't understand uh, the logic to favour Martin over Varadkar given that they have very similar policies. They both supported the lifting of restrictions on bankers' bonuses, said Liam, and present and previous governments have left a trail of social destruction. Marcus says that on the Sinn Féin discussion around them controlling the Departments of Justice and Defence, he says, I have a problem with Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael controlling any department associated with finance and yet they're in government. The national debt stands at 200 38 billion he says not one cent of that was caused by Sinn Féin let's see what the next election brings and someone else says that if Fianna Fáil coalesces with Sinn Féin after the next general election there's likely to be a push for reunification in 2026 the centenary of the split I presume that is the uh, the reunification of those parties uh, rather than of the, the National Territory because that split happened long before uh, 1926 someone else just poses the question are you saying that Stephen Donnelly has been a good Minister for Health um, you can have the whole show to thrash that out uh, one note we do need to get to a break but just on the note of the reshuffle I think there's a very good chance that Micheál Martin chooses foreign affairs for himself, that Simon Coveney moves to enterprise and that basically there's no other change if the swap between the two finance ministries. Because don't forget that there is a very delicate balance uh, between the three coalition parties about the juniors that are attached to the senior jobs. And the more juniors that you have to move, then the more people you leave disappointed and the more headaches you create for yourselves. So the more minimalistic they can make the reshuffle, the better. And I think... Simon Coveney ends up at Enterprise just purely to, to have things as, as unchanged as possible. Uh, John Lee of the Daily Mail Group and Lauren Boland of the Journal.ie still with us in the studio. We were having a, a right out discussion. We were, we were having our usual ad break discussion about what topic should we come to next. And I mentioned a piece on page six of the Business Post about the prospect of reforming how Ireland charges for motorway tolls so that you might have more regular tolls but pay smaller amounts each time. Uh, something which has been floated for a while and now Lauren Boland seems might finally be on the way. Yes, um, I think it, it's going to be one that's going to divide opinion probably based on where you are right now, what your mm. normal journeys are and what kind of tolls you currently pay because some people might end up paying less and some people might end up paying more. Um, I think what's key with this as well is so the business poster is reporting that TII is concerned about both the growth in traffic and emissions on motorways. Um, I think the emissions is key because we know that the transport sector has a long way to go mm. in terms of cutting its emissions down. Um, and the problem here is that you want to have fewer cars on the motorway, fewer cars on the roads in general to get those emissions down. But that has to happen, it, or, or in order for that to happen, there has to be the infrastructure in place for you know public transport, for, for walking, for cycling, mm. that allows people to change their mode of transport and also to reduce their journeys in general you know if, if they're if things like remote working as it has done but could, if it could continue to you know, reduce the need mm. for journeys in the first place so so is the thinking then that if you have more frequent tolls even if they're all slightly lower that basically just acts as a disincentive for people to get on the road in the first place and that they might pursue the public transport which now has more of the road to use for itself Certainly, it puts it further to the forefront of people's minds. I think if you think about the M50, say, for example, where there is that one um, toll point, you can easily, you know, depending on where you're going or where you're starting from, there are lots of journeys that can be made on the M50 without paying a toll. Um, if it if there is a move to this kind of system where there would be tolling throughout the road, it would certainly bring it further to attention. Um, but I don't think necessarily that tolling as a disincentive 
to transport or to private transport is is necessarily the right approach from the from the emissions perspective anyway mm. or the traffic perspective because some journeys are inelastic things like the commute to work you know if you do yeah. have to get into work or you know to visit to visit a relative there are some journeys that people yeah, are going to, to make yeah. no matter whether they're paying 70 cent or you know 210 there or whatever the cost is um so it has to happen with those measures that will make it easier for people to use other modes of transport to Mm. make those journeys. Uh, We should say that this is based on uh, the fact that the Business Post has established that the Department of Transport has told uh, Transport Infrastructure Ireland, bear with me by the way because there's lots of acronyms here, so the Department has told Transport Infrastructure Ireland to start working on Project Bruce and Bruce is in itself an acronym which stands for Better Road User Charging Evaluation and it's looking at the idea of example, uh, for example, multi-point tolling on the M50 and and other motorways so instead of having uh, two euro or, or one euro ninety or two euro ten at different points along the motorway that you might have more frequent tolls, but that they might charge uh, smaller amounts. Um, John, you were saying, that, and, and Lauren has just made the observation there. Your stance on this will probably depend on the journeys that you currently make and what difference this might make to your pocket. Yeah, you know, there, there seems to be uh, uneven. You're traveling from Dublin to Galway, where my parents are from. Um, you pay a fairly heavy belt, but my wife is from Waterford. And I think we hit from North Dublin a toll on the M50 and then not one again till, till the bridge that goes over the shore in Waterford. So mm. it, it, there is an uh, unevenness. Yeah. Um, By comparison, uh, if I'm going to see my parents in Meath and it's 31 minutes drive from my house across two different tolls because of the M50 and then there's one on the M3 before you get off at their exit. So... Yeah, but by comparison, you could go to Kilkenny, for example. South and yeah, my wife's from Kilkenny. If you're going, going to see her parents in Kilkenny, her family, you can get 75 minutes on the road and not hit a single toll. But them's the brakes. But of course, this is once again is doing it the wrong way around. Um, I don't see a massive uh, flood of activity towards building up a public uh, transport network. We're we're still left till twenty thirty five. Just seems extraordinary to me that we can we can project these things, hammer motorists all over the place, and still not provide an adequate. Uh, um, rail network mm. uh, or adequate public transport people have been asked to use their bikes I drive into town most mornings because public transport just isn't reliable for getting my daughter into town and other things like that I, I I I pity the cyclists who have to brave those roads so it's another it's another belt and motorists will see maybe it's not mm. maybe it evens things up as well um, but it's uh, it's uh, it's being floated at the moment. We've already had the t- the tarnish to personally intervene. It seemed to me to stop Eamon Ryan raising poll uh, tolls at all. Yeah. So wh- when this study on Bruce, um, not mm. my distant namesake Bruce Lee, but better road user charging evaluation, when the evaluation is complete, if it seems that it will increase tolls more, you can see great political uh, opposition within the backbenches of Fianna Fáil Fianna Gael. it may not come to fruition before, yeah. this, before this government is through Yeah who knows actually you make a very good point that it's, it's difficult to see how they could uh, reform tolls and end up charging some people more at a time when they've just deferred any increases at all for six months to try and avert a, a cost of living surge um, Laura just before we move on on this just just talk us through again through the um, the climate uh, aspects of this so that it, it, would all of this be part of a general plan just to try and take cars off the roads one way or another because that is a basically a non-negotiable if in order to meet our climate targets. Is that right? Well, specifically the way they're coming at it here from, from the revenue point of view is 
with the idea that we're going to move to having more electric vehicles on the road, that means that revenue from diesel and petrol is going to decrease. So the idea being that, I mean, it, it does look in, that they are trying to get more money by, mm. by moving to this model because the idea is that you would make up for that lost revenue from less diesel and petrol yeah, by, by having more tolls by using it through the tolls so obviously yeah. the idea is that ultimately people be people would be paying uh, more through this model um, but we know that electric vehicles are better for the environment but they're also not the be all and end all mm. that ultimately it is public transport and, and having the most sustainable sustainably mm. fueled types of public transport that we can that is what is going to get us there uh, is it also true and i'm going to move on to other um other climate themed stories in the papers in just a minute but is it also true because i've, I've never seen the full study behind it but is it also true that um sometimes you hear politicians make the argument that if you just replaced every petrol or diesel car on the roads with an electric one you'd still have the same gridlock as we currently do and that of course is, is correct but that actually you need to reduce the number of cars on the roads because actually tire emissions is is a great source of of um, that the particles that are generated by tires wearing down. That that's also actually a major environmental issue, and that's why you you apparently need to cut down on them. Is that that that's that has, some truth that has been there. raised as well, and and there are other you know advantages to, to moving away from cars as well in terms of you know safety on streets, mm. in terms of pollution. Um, there are there are lots of reasons there. The, you know the, the direct emissions for one, but also as you say the, the tire particles um, and those other factors, things like you know safety pollution, um, no, noise pollution as well. Um, so there, there is a whole argument there, but but we are still we are still kind of addicted to our cars here in mm. Ireland. Um, and and any time these sort of um, ideas come up about how can we reduce dependency on them, there there's this uh, backlash from some from some areas of well, how can, how can we do X or Y or Z without our cars? Um, and some of those arguments are more salient maybe than others, yeah. but it it does show that there has to be a very public, very concerted effort by the government to put in the infrastructure to enable that transition to make it as mm. easy as possible for people because they are up against an uphill battle in terms of the resistance that there is from some places. Um, so that I think they really need to show that they are coming out front on this. Mm. Um, a listener gets back to me about the uh, previous text I read out about uh, the national debt that was incurred by successive Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael governments. Uh, the texter says that it was incumbent on Gavin Riley to counter that Sinn Féin bot who says that not one cent of the £238 billion was incurred by Sinn Féin. He says that person, I should have uh, incumbent, I should have been incumbent on me to point out that Sinn Féin spending would have doubled it to €500 billion Euro if in power, which of course you can't empirically prove at all. So I don't know what licence I would have to say that for the record, but there you go. Um, someone else, uh, Tom, gets in touch to say that so the ultimate finding from the poll really is that Sinn Féin are 17% ahead of Fianna Fáil and 10% ahead of Fine Gael and that's the real story of this poll not anything else uh, says Tom uh, which is fair enough as an observation about a headline point but I think what we were more likely to focus on is the more novel findings elsewhere because you know you'll, you'll find lots of opinion polls that show Sinn Féin to be ahead of the other parties at this particular moment in time but uh, point taken um, just on the oh someone else texts in about your your uh, your not so near namesake uh, John Jim in Wexford says Bruce Lee famously said be like water the road tolls might go the same way as the water charges. <laughs> he says. Uh, that, that prescient Fantastic. text from Jim and Wexford will pull out of the archives in a couple of years when all of this gets kibosh. Um, I said that I would discuss some other uh, climate-themed uh, stories. The front page of the Business Post uh, is quite a striking one because we all know about the demands on the national grid that are being uh, placed by data centres, which resulted in a moratorium being announced not so long ago 
that there wouldn't be any new ones given planning permission until at least 2028. Um, we learned today that Microsoft are building a new data centre, I think in Grange Castle in South Dublin. And they're planning to, to uh, build on this site, Lauren, uh, their own gas-fired power plant. Uh, now, fair play to them if they want to have some sort of energy production uh, means which is disconnected from the national grid so that their new data centre doesn't perhaps pose a burden on, on the rest of us. Uh, but it does beg the question as to how exactly are they going to get the gas to power this power plant? There are so many questions around this, um, and, and around the data centres in general. Okay. Yeah. You know, um, um, if I can bring it back to the climate again, you know, we're coming up now to a new climate action plan that sh- should at least be published in the coming weeks, um, and we know from last year's plan targets for the electricity sector and 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 for for the country as a whole. Even the targets, according to the EPA's analysis, aren't mm. enough to get us to the emissions reductions that we need to yeah. make, and the more the more we continue our reliance on on gas or, or on other fossil fuels the harder and harder it is to ultimately reach those targets um and obviously the question yes of, of how to get the gas um how how expensive that would be i mean i mean maybe to put it bluntly i suppose that's microsoft's problem in terms of the cost mm. but um but but also there are obviously further down the road there's the knock-on effect of the more demand there is for gas yeah. the more expensive it is broadly across yeah. Europe. Would it be also the case that I know I'm, I'm getting a bit into the weeds here now but I'm just kind of um, sort of fascinated by whether, whether there's a kind of a weird um, negative aspect to this as well. If Microsoft ended up uh, powering this power plant with um, some gas that they've managed to find from some of their means that would sort of then count towards our national emissions as being the uh, the combustion of gas or that we'd be burning certain amounts so that, that in its own way even though it's not connected to the national grid would still be emissions on Ireland's account that would need to be addressed in other ways, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Anything we're emitting here in Ireland, you know, that all has to be taken into consideration. And we are, the the closer and closer we get to 2030 and and, and 2050, which we have, you know, very set targets for, Mm. the more difficult it is to reach those when we're, if we're still introducing new emissions. You know, we, we kind of need to be past this point and looking at the emissions we are producing and how to get those down rather than bringing more in that we mm. have to tackle. Um, a few more texts about uh, motorways. Assuming tolls are not going away, is there a case, asks Tim in Dublin, for a system whereby a toll, reg- toll road regular user could pay an annual fee that they could opt in for in advance? The fee could be maybe based on predicted mileage. They could have a tag coded appropriately, which would allow them then to use the tolls at their favourably discounted rate. Irregular users could pay the normal rate, but it wouldn't impact so severely. That sort of sounds like it would only be a small evolution based on the the idea of having a tag right now. And if you're going through the M50 or some other tolls, that maybe you pay slightly less. If you've got electronic ways of doing it, that you're sort of opting into a frequent flyer module maybe something that's worth investigating uh, Mim and Cork says what other modes of transport are you all talking about here seven miles west of Cork City we have a train to Dublin and a train to Cove we have one bus every hour into the city that sometimes turns up and takes over an hour to go seven miles so she's not convinced that there are mm-hmm. uh, enough other places and someone else says we already have road tax, the tax that pays for roads, so there should be no additional costs such as toll charges. Um, I should tell that texter that we don't have a road tax, we have motor tax. We have a tax that uh, is uh, levied on motors based on uh, emissions. So it's not actually a tax to pay for the uh, the supplier, the upkeep of roads. Uh, not in its original conception, at least. Um, I mentioned that there's a lot of um, stories about Sean Quinn in the, in the papers. And we'll get to that in just a second. Just a bit of breaking news before we do go to an ad break, though. Um, Iran says that it has suspended its morality police. Uh, this 
was the internal police force which was responsible for uh, kicking off a wave of demonstrations across the country in the last three months after the stance of morality police uh, against people who weren't wearing what was seen as an appropriate hijab. Iran's uh, Attorney General this morning saying that the National Morality Police has been suspended, which would seem to be something of a victory for those protesters. Uh, we'll talk some about that, uh, that and about the coverage of Sean Quinn uh, in the papers when we're back after this. You're only required to pay motor tax to use a vehicle on a public road, says Alex. So regardless of the name, it is a tax on road usage, he says. And Sean in Galway says that a seven-mile journey to Cork is 35 minutes by bike. It's even less on an e-bike. That previous texter is symptomatic of our entire car-dependent mindset, says Sean in Galway. I suppose you never know what circumstances someone else is facing. You don't know whether they have small kids or if they're bringing someone that has a disability. It's it's not always as easy simply saying that there is a means for able-bodied people. But it is a fair point, nonetheless, that maybe there are other their options if people are uh, prepared in their own circumstances to look at some of the options uh, that are there. Uh, 11.47 it's just gone and on the record Gavin Riley with you to one o'clock John Lee and Lauren Boland still in studio um, as I mentioned before the break there's a lot of um, Sean Quinn coverage um, John you actually write today in the Mail on Sunday about your own uh, little chat with Sean Quinn in the wake of the broadcast of the three part documentary on RT this week um, he told you that the bombshell disclosure that his next agenda was lunch Yes. Um, what, what else did you learn from your, your brief chat with him? I've had um, I've had a, a, a supposed relationship with Sean Quinn since I inter- interviewed him on and off, uh, but I interviewed him at length, which we have time to tell it here. But the story of how the, the interview came about was was even more interesting. In 2012, when his real fall became apparent, um, it was around the time we were running stories about the uh, the removal of assets from the from the jurisdiction. Uh, mm. I interviewed him up at the border and I think what comes across in that little quote and it doesn't always come across with Sean Quinn he's an extremely charismatic man um, and very funny but I, I I think a lot of this is history and the attraction really is and I find the attraction with dealing with him is that he's an operatic figure uh, a John operatic B figure. a John B Keane figure because the, fall, the, the rise almost biblical the rise was so meteoric and the fall so unimaginably squalid in many ways that he is he's a fallen man mm. there's no way back for him uh, we did a chat on the phone yesterday and he, he outlined that he didn't support the documentary meaning that he thought sorry he explained that he was told it was what not what was sold to me I thought it was going to be something else it was going to be my story the, 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 the documentary then had balance in the story and there's just no way of avoiding what happened at the end of uh, at the end of his saga, mm. and his saga is finished. Yeah, he's a 75 year old man. There's been too much has gone on at the border that whether he's directly involved with, and of course he has denied mm. any involvement in some of the violence yeah. up there. Um, it has it has for me, and I'm sure many. It has it has overshadowed the whole the whole uh, Quinn story mm. that people were treated in the way they were that Kevin Luddy was tortured yeah. and what came across to me in the documentary more than anything else was the absolute savagery of how that man um, that poor man um, Kevin Luddy was treated mm. and violently attacked and that that is what matters yeah. really I, Sean Quinn's as as uh, Sean as uh, Jerry Collins says in our paper Sean Quinn's self-pity um, was apparent and that doesn't matter and he he won't go hungry and he seems physically and and uh, robust and um, in many ways you would hope that he finds some peace 
um, in the remainder of his life mm. because he and his wife said in the documentary that they haven't. And his wife said it struck me, I think, at one point that um, it affects their whole life, affects their children. And she wakes up every morning. I think the phrase used were in bad form. So, mm. you know, they, they, many ways, one hopes that yeah. there is a happy end to this. Uh, th- this is a question that could have an answer as long as a piece of string, but um, and it might not have been the the nature of the the discussion that you had with me yesterday. But the one thing that I'm not totally clear on after this three part documentary this week is when you know Sean Quinn is complaining in some of today's papers that the project did not work out the way that he thought that he thought it would be more of an opportunity for him to have his say rather than it being a, a hear from all sides kind of a project. Um, but that I'm not still totally clear in my own head how it is, what it is that he feels aggrieved about or how he feels betrayed or what was the betrayal that was perpetrated on in, him. In the documentary? Yeah. He, he said to me yesterday that um, the, the same characters who have been critical of him for the last 10 or 12 years were, were hauled out. Um, again, I've, I, I spent a couple of days in his presence since 10 years ago now, but, I, you know, it, it is seared on my memory because he is a... He is a. He comes into the room, and you know you're in the in the presence of someone who's used to getting their way, who is the boss, um, commands people around him, but tinges it all as a lot of these great leaders do, and that's what he was uh, with humour and uh, humanity. But he does not accept there is any other story other than Sean Quinn's story mm. and his way of doing things. And if he's defied in any way, he will not accept that. That's how it was, that was his success in so many ways, but also his, his downfall. So it seems as though any, any attempt to put forward that narrative, that, and he used that word again yesterday with me, that there was a, this is my chance to put forward my narrative. Yeah. Anything that, that, that contradicts that narrative, he does not accept. And yeah. he will not accept it. Um, he, has, he also says, uh, written his own book, 80,000 words of a, something of an autobiography he's looking for a publisher for it. So maybe that'll be his own opportunity to have his own side put out there uh, without it being contested. Um, Lauren, there's a lot in the papers, but I, I don't know whether you want to just offer your thoughts on anything that's in the papers or just maybe having seen the documentary, your, your reflections on it. I think picking up a bit on what John is talking about in terms of Sean Quinn as a character and this sort of charismatic figure. There's an interesting piece on page two of the Sunday Times that speaks to people living in Cavan about what their perception of him is. Mm. Um, and you, you know, there's mixed opinion, but you definitely get that sense through it of uh, a level of sympathy for him. So, for example, one woman living in Belturbet said that you'll hear a lot of Cavan people say that he might have been a bit selfish rather than that he did something too wrong. Um, And another saying, I do believe he was shafted. Um, He wasn't totally innocent, but he built it from scratch and I think he was unfairly treated. I feel sorry for him. He lost everything, Um, which is an interesting sentiment. I don't know if it would have been the same kind of 10 years ago um, when we were, I suppose the recession was fresher. Yeah. it all felt a bit more raw. Exactly. And I think, but I think maybe that kind of speaks to the sort of persona that John is picking up on. Um, and it shows the the kind of the influence mm. in that area. Yeah. Um, do you think that there, I, I see, by the way, the Trevor Burney, who has produced this documentary, is also the author of a forthcoming book. There's a big extract today in, in uh, the Business Post. Um I wonder whether right Sean Quinn poster, like. yeah, will, will, will Sean Quinn be any more happy with his reflection there if he feels like that might be a little less contested in that forum? No, he won't. Um, you know, um, his, his, his self-belief is, is extraordinary. But 
you know, the story has been written. The story is over. The the um, the economy collapsed because of Anglo-Irish Bank and its its lending uh, uh, practices. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, primarily, of course, the other banks were yes, were, were, no, hard, course, yeah. were hardly um, mm. were hardly innocent in the whole thing. A lot of that, that lending was done to Sean Quinn to uphold his his borrowing from that bank in a, in a crazy circle. I, I I don't believe many people say it was a gamble. I, I don't uh, personally believe that. And I think Ian Kyo said it during the documentary that there was a belief in the business sector that he was trying to buy the bank. So I don't think Sean Quinn does these things by by accident that somehow this was all some gamble and he'd lost his mind or something. I don't go for any of that. Mm. I think he he had bought an insurance company, established an insurance company because he was paying huge premiums for his company. And the next step, obviously, if you're doing something as getting into something as as complex as insurance, you're going to move towards a bank. But the the story has been written. His his empire is gone Mm. and it, it isn't coming back. And... The the real effects of of a lot of the activities uh, in Ireland between probably two thousand and two thousand eight were, were were felt by the populace mm. by all. And of we us. still are. We're still, we're we're still, still paying are. levies we're, on we're our insurance policies to, to cover the whole thing. So you know whether Sean Quinn accepts the the the. The, the narrative that is out there that doesn't really matter anymore he clearly doesn't mm. and um he, he is he's free to bring out his book but you know again as i say he he we all want to ease up these stories because he is that kind of John B. Keane-esque um, character beyond mm. money, beyond power. There is, there is. there was a wonderful part, part in that documentary. A local historian said that um, they had once had lights out um, on the on the mountain in, in near his home in Derry Lynn and they were brought out at Christmas, I think for Christmas, for um, Midnight Mass yeah. and that kind of thing and they gradually disappeared and the phrase that was used in that area in Cavan and Fermanagh was that Sean Quinn put the lights back on the mountain. It's an incredibly evocative story but unfortunately he put them out again. So mm. he is, um, he is again as I say, he should try and enjoy um, what is left of his life. He's not poor. He has a fine house there as we mm. saw still and his children have lives ahead of them and, and, and one mm. would hope that they yeah. maybe pay back some of the debts they still owe. That, uh, which is also covered as well in some of the papers that some of their previous judgments haven't yet been uh, been dealt with either. Uh, we will leave it uh, on that front. John Lee, Executive Editor of the Day Mail Group and Lauren Bowden Report from the Journal Daily. Thank you both very much for coming in to talk through the Sunday papers. We'll podcast this uh, item back. You'll be able to listen back to it as well on Newstalk.com or on the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud in just a couple of minutes. On the record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PWC. Sunday morning at 11 on Newstalk.